0: Thank you very much, Kevin. Good to be with you all in person, (laughs) instead of on the screen. And uh, thank you for your warm welcome, as ever. We're going to do an introduction to the little book of Jonah this morning, and also chapter one. So we'll read chapter one, first of all. Um, I don't know whether it's on the screen, but um, I'll read to you from the NIV anyway. Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship for that port. After praying, uh, sorry, after paying the fare, he went aboard. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it uh, it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried to the Lord, O Lord, Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. It's probably uh, over 50 years ago when my mother died. Uh, I was still quite young, but um, she'd never lo- um, lost interest in telling us the story that in a Bible class when she was teaching a Bible class one day, she said, and when Jonah swallowed the whale, before she realised that, no, the whale swallowed Jonah, I would not the whale, it was a great fish. But uh, I always think of that when I read that passage. What I'd like to do this morning is share with you five points, first of all, uh, by way of introduction to the whole book. A sort of context so that we can get a, a sort of picture of what, what, why this book is in the Bible in the first place, and what it's all about. And then we'll briefly look at some of the points that we've just read from chapter one. So, first of all, who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet, and he came from the northern kingdom of Israel. You'll remember that soon after the death of Solomon, the kingdom of, uh, of Israel split into two. The northern ten tribes were called Israel. Uh, centered in the northern part of the country and Judah and Benjamin in the south uh, centered on Jerusalem. Uh, The north was moving away from God much quicker than Judah in the south. And uh, you've got the stories of all the kings that were in charge of both kingdoms. Uh, And Israel was already in quite a state Two great prophets had already arisen from the northern kingdom, from Israel, Elijah and Elisha. And we, we, we know these people, we know their stories, we know what God did with them. And soon after the time of Elisha, Jonah came along. It's the only thing we know about Jonah, the story. But the interesting thing was, although they lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, with all its godlessness and its idolatry developing... Uh, They were each sent out to other nations. Uh, With um, Elijah, he was sent to Nidon, up on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, Elisha was sent to Syria, across the Jordan Valley. And here's Jonah, sent to Nineveh. And Nineveh, of course, was the the city uh, in uh, present-day Syria, um, the capital of the Syrians, who later on captured Israel and conquered them. But at this point, God sought each of these people, despite the problems in their own country, Israel, he sent them to other places to witness the gospel as well. Now, let's just pick up that point. Because we live in a land where there is so much evil at the moment. There is so much godlessness. And we rightly pray for our own nation first. But we also pray for those that the Lord has sent out from us to other parts of the world. And we rejoice as we hear the story of our missionary brothers and sisters. And uh, sometimes I've... uh, And I used to go to Brazil quite regularly. People say, I don't know why you want to go down there. You've got enough work to do at home, surely. But the Lord says, no, I want you to share what you already have with others. Isn't it amazing? We're living in a day when... Those nations like our own that have the gospel the longest. The gospel first came to this country in the middle of the first century. We are in a great decline spiritually in our country. But it's almost like the edges of the world, the third world as we used to call it, where there's greatest revival. I saw that in South America, in Africa, in the Philippines, in, in the Far East, other parts of the Far East. And even in Eastern Europe, where they were under the pressure of communism for so long, and there is tremendous movement of God. And so uh, it's not just the needs of our own communities and nation, but God sends his people from those situations into these others, Sidon, Syria, and here, Nineveh. And uh, God says, no, you don't keep the gospel to yourselves. Go into all the world. And preach the gospel. So we're part of a worldwide moving of God. As I say in these days. It seems that God is busy. In areas where they haven't had the gospel that long. We've had the gospel for so many centuries. And we're losing it rapidly. So. <clears throat> secondly. This little story. And it's only four chapters. Is all about God's dealings with his servant. It's the way God dealt with. Jonah and Jonah's reaction to what God asked him to do. So it's really speaking to you and me as individuals. And if we're living in a day where, and I'll bring this out as we go along, when we're really saying, God, we want you to speak to us today, then uh, the reaction we have is, is what is of interest to God. And God had to deal with Jonah according to the way he responded to what God asked him to do. I just wish that in my life I had been a bit more obedient when God asked me to do various things. But you put up all sorts of arguments. Well, I did anyway. Put up all sorts of arguments. And God has to deal with us. If we were to write the story of our lives, many of us, particularly in Christian ministry, it wouldn't be a nice straightforward story of obedience and faith that we were singing about just now. It will be a terrible story of sometimes being obedient and sometimes not, sometimes arguing with God, sometimes thinking we know better. At least that's happened to me. Well, that's what's happening to Jonah, and that's <coughs> what you'll discover as we go through this. So it's a story, and as um, somebody wrote, it's uh, a prophetic commission and it's attempted evasion. That's a a prophetic commission, an attempted evasion. God gave him a prophetic job to do, and he tried to avoid it. Now, I think this is very important today, because as I'm going to try to say as we go through this, we today need to hear that prophetic word from God. The uh, whole circumstances in the church, in the nation and in the world at large, it shows that we're at some sort of turning point in history, I believe. Many of us believe. The signs of the times that the Lord asked us to look out for are multiplying. We were told when we see those signs, look up, because your redemption is drawing near. But interestingly, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have the seven letters to the churches, and each one of them finish He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Are we listening to the prophetic word for today, for now? For what we are to do as Christians and what God is saying? I don't think God wants to be silent in the face of all that's going on in the world today. Kevin just briefly mentioned in prayer about the Ukraine, but not only are we facing the possibility of war in uh, northern europe but also the possibility of war in the far east as well with taiwan and china we're living in a time of tremendous fear and challenge and uncertainty and in terms of the various things that are happening in uh, in in the world in, in in the environment and so on i don't believe covid will be the end of the matter It may well be the beginning. I see somebody has just died in this country of lasso fever, and that's back again. So we're looking at a time of great shaking. I've said this before here. Isn't it amazing the world is using words that we should be using? Apocalyptic. And the films are coming out about various catastrophes that could wipe out millions. What is God saying to his people, to you and me, in times like this? And the fear is that we just want to get back to where we were before and carry on if nothing had happened. As I travel around in my ministry, I find that churches are not the same. God still wants us to meet together. I'm not saying we, don't, we, we shouldn't. And I'm grateful for the Internet during this last two years and the provision we have and still have. But uh, God is speaking to us in every place we visit. The circumstances are different, and the purposes God has for us are different. The work he wants us to do, the way we respond to it, they're different. And uh, uh, God has a word for us. One of the saddest things, I think, in the country today is that the church is not telling the world, listen, get ready, Jesus is coming back, the church is going to be raptured, and you're going to be left behind, and what are you doing about it? I don't think I showed it. I did come once last summer here, but um, talking about it to a lady that uh, was in our own little fellowship at home. We can't meet at the moment. Again, the older people, bless them, they've been vaccinated, but they're a little bit afraid to come out uh, at the moment. We've just left it in abeyance. But she said, "Well." A little while ago, she was so concerned that we should be telling the world what's going to happen, that she ordered a whole lot of these little tracks by Billy Graham. Don't get left behind. Or don't be left behind. And she said, what I do is, I, when I go to the supermarket, I see the trolleys all lined up outside. I put one in each of the trolleys, so they got something else, as well as their shopping when they uh, leave the supermarket. Now, we might smile, and I do. But she's got the right point. It's a prophetic word. The Lord's told her to do something. She's getting on to do it. So this was my second general point about this little prophecy, that this is all about God telling Jonah what to do and he's trying to avoid it. Thirdly, God doesn't leave Jonah to himself. When he's been given a job, God doesn't say, oh, well, I'll just forget forget you, I'll find somebody else. God's love for us as individuals is having given us a job. If we don't get it right, he deals with the problem that we have that causes us to get it wrong. Isn't that amazing? We look back in life and we see that the Lord has put his finger on some of the areas within our lives that need to change, that need to be developed, that need to be sanctified, that need to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking a little bit about this this evening. And uh, first of all, yes, he gets thrown overboard, as we've just read. God prepares a big fish. And uh, when uh, he was going through spiritual and emotional depression, God shows again that he can rescue him. He's still talking to him. I just want to make that point for anybody this morning that feels that in life God has asked you to do various things. He has spoken to you and you got it wrong and you're a little bit upset about it. Maybe you'll say, well, God doesn't use me now. It's not like it used to be. I let him down. Could have done so much better. I could have done a different thing in my family or in my business or in my life or in my church life. God is still interested in the way you relate to him. And if I can only just give this example, again, I've said it here before, I could have started in full-time ministry 15 years before I did, but I wanted to develop my career, and I wanted this, that, and the other. But God didn't let me go. He said, I might have it home way, but I'm coming back <laughs> to take you on from where I wanted you to be. And it's just the same with Jonah. God didn't give up on him. Although he was so... Anti the job that God had given him to do, God didn't let him go and tried, and God came along at every point to move him on. The fourth general point that I'd like to make about this little book is that it is not allegory. Now, one of the criticisms we get from people within the churches is well, this is a lovely story, but it's only a story. It's an allegory, it's uh, a sort of a nice story, like a fairy story, just shows what God could do, Uh, and uh, maybe it's been embellished, but God doesn't send big fish, and people don't live in big fish (laughs) for three days and three nights, and uh, uh, you'll find a lot of so-called Christians in the churches would say, we don't have to believe this. Well, if it was only an allegory, which is a sort of a a story with a meaning, with a a sort of um, a a siege in it, then (laughs) it's an amazing story to actually say as an allegory when there is so much going on. I mean, if an allegory is going to make any sense to anybody, it's got to have some truth about it. Otherwise, you'll say, well, are you telling me that sort of thing? That doesn't happen at all. Oh, I just want you to get the deeper meaning. Well, I don't understand the deeper meaning. People say, no, if you're going to have an allegory, you've got to have something a little bit like the parables that Jesus had that talked to them about something they would have been familiar with, something that would have happened. Example, when uh, Jesus was talking about the sower, sowing the seed, Uh, it could have well been on the hillside. There was a farmer doing just that as he was doing it. In other words, he did bring out a deeper truth, a spiritual truth. But he used familiar concepts. So what would be the point of an allegory when it was something so far-fetched, if if it wasn't true, that it really didn't have any meaning in people's people's own experience? So uh, we believe that this was a, 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 a literal story that actually happened. But the most important thing of all to show that it is true, Jesus believed it. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, I will be in the earth for three days and three nights. You'll say, well, how does that work out from Good Friday to Sunday? (laughs) I don't want to enter into that big debate, but I don't think it was Friday. I think that's the tradition of the church Jesus said in the same way, and this is a sign, this is in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11, you can look it up for yourselves, Jesus said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. They all knew the story, they all accepted the story, and Jesus compares himself to Jonah in this respect, the only one of the prophets he did compare himself with, and he said, you know what happened to Jonah, the same is going to happen to me, but it won't be a fish, it'll be in a tomb. In fact, uh, if if you study the whole Easter timetable, it it couldn't possibly have happened between Friday afternoon and early Sunday morning. And in fact, the Jewish days don't start in the morning anyway. They start at sundown, at uh, sunset. So it would be any time after 6 o'clock on Saturday evening, which brings it down to almost a day. So there's a lot of issues there. But uh, Jesus compared it. He said it the same way as Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights... I will be in the tomb for that period of time. It's not allegory. This is a true story. And then the fifth point, uh, a general point of the book that I'll leave with you is this, that uh, Jesus wanted those comparison, that comparison between himself and Jonah to be extended further. When Peter first heard the gospel, after Pentecost, to the Gentiles, he took it to a Roman called Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And where was Peter at the time? He was in Joppa, which was a port uh, on the coast of uh, of Israel, the southern kingdom in those days. And uh, he set out, uh, Jonah set out from Joppa, Peter set out from Joppa to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In fact, Jonah wasn't what to set out from Joppa because Nineveh was the opposite position altogether. It was east. But he set out from Joppa and had his big experience. Isn't it wonderful that in the age of the church, Peter, he set out from Joppa as well to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But he went straight to where Cornelius was. And the Lord is bringing in comparisons So if the Lord makes his comparisons with Jonah, how important a book is this for us to learn the lessons ourselves? So those are just some general introductory remarks. Now I just want to make a few comments from the passage that we read, chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Um, just because a city is wicked doesn't mean to say God has washed his hands of it. Just because there's wickedness in our nation, just because there's wickedness in those in authority, just because there is wickedness in our society doesn't mean that God has given up on us. We're still living in the day of grace. We're still living in the day when God loves us. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And we're still in a day when God is speaking. To our nation. So easy for us as Christians just to give up and say, you know, we've gone too far. And I've heard this. And we haven't gone too far. God has still got his a heart of mercy and love. And if Nineveh, which was so bad, 120,000 people, uh, was so bad that God said, I want to do something for them and I want to bring them the gospel then even in these last days, and I believe we are in the last days of the church era before we're wrapped away and there's a tribulation, a period of judgment, seven years at the end, and then Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom on earth, comes back with us. Even if we are in the last days, that makes the gospel all the more urgent. It means we have to be even more on fire for the Lord to preach the gospel as Jonah was told to do in Nineveh. Is there some sort of complacency in our hearts? Are we weary with all that we've done and seemingly hasn't really resulted in much fruit? Uh, I'm still doing itinerant ministry. It's not so much as I used to do. Of course, for almost two years, it, it, it was mainly on the Internet. But as I've started traveling around to the churches again, there's a tremendous sense of fear, of apprehension of almost resignation. Last Sunday morning, I was in a church in Bristol. It was a brethren assembly. And um, a, a, a church with a tremendous past, with a great work of God that have not gone there in a very needy part of Bristol. A lot of mo- uh, immigrants uh, live there now. And they wanted to have a quick word with me afterwards and said, David, we don't know how much longer we can go on. Our old people won't come out now. Those of us that are working, we're retiring and not getting any younger. We've got no children, only one or two children from one or two families in the church. And uh, you can repeat that, in so many places, we're still living in the gospel age. We're still living in the day when the Lord wants to reach out to those around. I want you to go to Nineveh. Its wickedness has come up before me. And if that had happened, how much has the wickedness in our day come up before the Lord? And yet the Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. But we need to get some new, real concern for those around us. For those who don't know the Lord. You know, we talk about missionaries showing out to other countries. There are whole vast areas of your own land where people don't know the gospel and don't know the truth of the word of God. We do need that revival. We do need that moving of the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord to speak to people who are listening to say, Lord, how can we go into our society and make a difference for you? Lord, just please move. In in, uh, John 16, the Lord said, uh, The Holy Spirit, when I give him, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I'm just praying that before the Lord comes back again and takes us away, and we don't know how soon that will be, there will be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit again to those who are listening and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, just help me. And it may not be in the ways that it was in the past. You know, we've seen our time of mass evangelism. We've seen our times of overflowing Sunday schools. We've seen our tremendous youth clubs and so on. We're thankful for the small... Remnant that still comes along. But God can still move in powerful ways. And we need to pray for him. But what I am very sure about is this, that he will use us as individuals, individual churches and individual Christians and individual families. And it might not be in the ways in the past. It will be just uh, uh, in, in the ways in which Uh, He can use us where he puts us. I'm just thinking of um, a lady. She started coming to do a little bit of cleaning on a Wednesday morning for a couple of hours. We we have uh, the other one moved away. This lady shows no sign of being a Christian, but she's a lovely lady. She came from quite a rough background. She told me last week. She um, last week, ten days ago. She just wanted to open up to me about her son. And uh, Benjamin, I think he was 19 she said. He wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. He's, um, he's quite gifted, particularly sports and so on and so forth. Uh, he was a swim coach at one time and uh, just not interested in doing anything. And she said, I just don't know. I'm beside myself. Just don't know what to do. Anyway, we, uh, I, I, I just listened. I felt that was what the Lord wanted me to do. She's not a Christian. She um, doesn't go to a church. She's got no Christian background. She just felt that she had to speak to someone and I was the person she had to speak to and I'm not holding myself up as anything special. So she pours this out and then she breaks down in tears and I give her a hug. And uh, I I, I just say, "Um, we love you and you know where I stand as a Christian and I'll pray for you in your situation. And she dried her tears. She got on with the cleaning (laughs) and... uh, Before she went, she said, you know, I feel so much better. That was 10 days ago. She came again on Wednesday this past week. She did her cleaning job. She said that was such a help last week. She rang me Thursday morning. She said, I've just tested positive for COVID. I was with you yesterday. You better get yourselves tested as well. Well, we're all testing negative at the moment at home. But um, she just wanted to share with me and to talk to me and I just feel, Lord, step by step, we're getting somewhere with a woman that I've only just come to know. Who is it you might know? Who is it we might ex- uh, come across? And they're suffering. And under the facade that we put up to try to make ourselves respectable and, uh, 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 and, and normal in life, people are hurting. People are desperate. Problems are multiplying. And where are we? You've got to go to New River. Their wickedness has come to me, and that doesn't stop my love and my mercy and my grace, says God. Then, <clears throat> um, just looking from verse 4, our time has almost gone. We see that God sent two things. Verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And then verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I just want to make this point then in the few moments we've got left. God is the God of the universe. God is the God of creation. And because we've tried to minimize God's work within creation and say, oh, we can explain it all by natural processes, then we begin to doubt things like, oh, this might have been just a a thing that happened. The Mediterranean does have storms. Look at what happened to uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. And as for the great fish, even if we believe it, well, that was a bit unusual, wasn't it? Hang on a minute. The whole of the physical creation, the universe, this vast universe that we're learning much more about, came out of the physical, the spiritual dimension in which God lives. God is spirit. And God spoke. God is eternal. God is the Uh, the the very essence of being of existence science tries to say well what came before the big bang what created the space created the the elements that exploded Uh, and they can't get around that where is the beginning of everything the beginning is with God in the beginning God and as Christians we need to get back to the nature of God he is eternal God doesn't move through eternity as we move through time. He is eternal. He is the ever-present now. And he spoke. By faith we understand that the universe was created at the word of God's command. It didn't come about with a big bang. It came about with a big word. And the trouble with uh, science today and education today is it's trying to understand things in terms of the physical universe whereas the physical universe came out of the spiritual universe, the realms of God who is spirit, the vastness, the eternalness of God. And until we realize that there is an eternal, uh, a spiritual dimension and God is far bigger than the physical world, then we'll never understand stories like Jonah. Let me just give you a quick example. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Yeah. Lazarus had been dead for four days and in that heat his body had already started to decompose his organs were all turning to fluid and uh, he, he would have smelt as his sister said and the Lord came up to him and with that word Lazarus come forth immediately that decomposing body was resuscitated completely fully functioning straight away and shuffled out of the grave, of the tomb, in his grave clothes. That's our God, Jesus, the wonderful Son of God, by whom all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And at a word, the total degradation of death was reversed, and that man came out because the spiritual power in Jesus had been applied to the physical universe of Lazarus's dead body. And in case anybody here this morning doesn't quite understand what we're about as Christians, in our Christian worship and in our living, we're engaging with the spiritual reality that is God. God is our Father. He is the Father of this universe. The whole family in heaven and earth is named after God. He wants to be your father, your heavenly father, and you can have peace with God through believing in Jesus Christ, who in his eternity laid aside his majesty, took up our humanity, and here he died in our place to bring us back into a relationship with the spiritual, with God, and with eternity. And every one of us has an immortal spirit. If in each one of us, there is that immortal spirit. God has set eternity into our hearts. And it is in our spiritual life that we reach up to God. What we've done this morning here in this place is a spiritual activity. We've reached up and touched the divine, the spiritual, the eternal, as we've prayed, as we've sung, and as we've listened to the word of God. As we go back into the physical world in which we live. But when we die, our spirits are released. So he goes back to God, and later on he's going to revive the mortal remains of our physical lives as well. But that's another story. God can provide whatever he wants from the spiritual in the physical realm. And he provided a big fish, whether it was a whale or not, we do not know. And there in the cavity of that fish is uh, inside. Jonah was able to live for three days and three nights before the the fish spewed him up. And he got on with the job of going to Nineveh. Dear friends, we're talking with a, about a God who is the God bigger than the universe, who is the Lord of all creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bringing about this wonderful work of a people for Christ, a bride for eternity, joint heirs with Christ, when we will reach our fullness in our spiritual lives, but we'll have a new body as well. Like Jesus' glorious body. Story of Jonah, one man who knew God <clears throat> but thought he knew better. He wanted to hear, he 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 had to hear what God was going to do, and eventually he accepted it. But God didn't give up on Jonah, and he hasn't given up on us as Christians today. He hasn't given up on our ministry. He hasn't given up on the gospel. And I don't think he's given up on us as a nation. Continue to pray. And the Lord bless you. We're just going to close with a prayer.